I want to begin a message today that may take me two Sundays, and I really don't want to hurry through it, so we'll see how it goes. I had an experience last Sunday night ministering down in the conference in Florida that I've never had before, and it encouraged me greatly. And one of my prayers daily for months and months now centers around seeing and hearing. Now, if you have natural vision and natural, at least fairly decent hearing, you're blessed. A lot of people don't. But there's also a spiritual vision and a spiritual hearing that's often mentioned in the Bible. And you may have 20-20 vision, but be blind to spiritual things. You may have perfect ability with these things, but you still can't really hear what the Spirit is saying. Over and over and over in the Scriptures, we find that expression. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. And honestly, after 41 years of preaching, I don't have a whole lot of confidence in my ability just to put some words together and to be able to change someone else's life. I'm well aware of that. I'm quite aware of my total dependence on the Holy Spirit to do that part. All I am basically is a speaker, like one of these speakers, and sound comes through it. But if the Holy Spirit isn't behind the words and taking the words into your heart, then it's just a bunch of words. Well, last Sunday night, I had three or four people come to me after the message sharing, Pastor, as you were ministering, we felt like the Holy Spirit was already speaking to us, and we knew where you were going in the message, and we even knew the next three or four verses that you were going to be citing. And I was like, wow, that's the Holy Spirit. And that's what I believe God wants to bring us into, where we're not just coming to church to hear the preacher, but rather we are in the Spirit and we're ready to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Now, you wouldn't find that repeated seven times in the book of Revelation unless the Holy Spirit wants to speak to the church. We are a church. And I believe the Holy Spirit is here, and He has things He wants to say to us. But there are certain conditions that the Bible mentions that must be met if you and I are going to be able to see and if we're going to be able to hear. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom. There's a kingdom of God that is impossible to see unless you've had that experience in your life of being born again. Christ coming and transforming you into a new creation. Likewise, Jesus told some of the smartest religious people of his day, the Pharisees and the other religious leaders, he said, you can't hear what I'm saying. Well, they heard every word he was saying, but he wasn't talking about physical hearing. You can't really hear what I'm saying and listen carefully to what he told them because you don't belong to God. Uh-oh. You can't hear because you don't belong to God. 
So if you and I want to see and we want to hear, we better give our lives to God, surrender our lives to God, put our heart, our plans, our agenda, our ambitions, everything before him and say, Lord, my life is yours. I belong to you. Have your way in my life. Now, what I'm going to be teaching on this Sunday and perhaps next Sunday, I'm, I'm aware I don't even fully understand it. It's, it's very deep and it's something that we might think we understand up here, but we don't down here. And I want to pray again today because of that. Father, in the name of Jesus, we have no confidence in our own flesh. I have no confidence in my ability to speak, O oh God. I am crying out to you, Holy Spirit, to be our teacher, to open the eyes of our understanding. Give us spiritual insight, spiritual wisdom, to be able to hear what the Spirit is saying, to be able to see what the Scriptures are really talking to us about. Lord Jesus, you opened the Scriptures to your disciples. And we pray right now that you would open the Scriptures to us and reveal to us your heart, your plan, and your purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. What I want to talk to you about this week and next week is, I'll give it a title, God's Eternal Purpose, Christ and His Bride. God's eternal purpose, Christ and his bride. Now, even the word eternal is very difficult for us to wrap our finite brains around. It's very hard for me to even talk about and try to explain what eternal means. I think most of us have some concept of something that's going to last forever into the future. But that's only half of the picture. You see, the real concept of eternal is forever in two directions. <laughs> and our mind just, it wants to find a starting point. And there isn't one. And that's where we run into difficulties. God doesn't have a starting point. And so we start trying to figure out, okay, well, I know... There's a world without end, but the scripture that's already up on the screen here, in the beginning, well, the beginning is when everything starts, right? But there was already something there in the beginning. In the beginning, God. So before the beginning, God. That's hard for me to grasp, but I must, because that's the whole concept of an eternal God. I'm going to race through some scriptures, and by the way, I am recording this message today, and hopefully I'll have notes available on our website also if you want to access that uh, same way, same uh, deal as Pastor Quasey said for our Wednesday night Bible studies. Deuteronomy 33, 27. I'm going to do these quickly. It says, the eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. The eternal God is your refuge. Isaiah 57 and verse 15, one of my favorite verses on this subject, 
It says, this is what the high and lofty one says, he who lives forever. The King James and Amplified and some of the other translations really translate it more literally. It says, can you switch that to King James, Sister D? Notice it says, thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. That's the literal translation. That's God's address. That's not our address quite yet. We live in time. God doesn't. Apparently you didn't hear that yet. God's address is outside of time. He inhabits, he lives in eternity, whatever that is. We may or may not fully be able to be able to grasp it, but God doesn't live in time. That's why we want to have a beginning and an end to everything. God doesn't know what beginnings and ends are. He is. His name is I am. <laughs> I am doesn't have a past tense. It doesn't have a future tense. It's forever present. I am. That's his name. So he lives in eternity. And the next two verses start to get a little bit more into what I was talking about. It's not just forever in the future direction. It's forever in the other direction too. And that's where we run into trouble. But this is important to lay this foundation for what I want to share with you today. Psalm 93, verse 2, it says, Your throne, O God, was established long ago. You are from all eternity. Listen to that. You are from all eternity. So God didn't come into being 40 trillion years ago. That's even missing the point here. He is from eternity. He's the eternal God. And this next one, I think, really expands it so that we can see it's both in what we would call past and future. Psalm 90, verse 2. It says, Before the mountains were born, or... You brought forth the earth and the world. So this is now before Genesis 1.1. Before all that, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So the eternal God is everlasting in both directions of what we would call time. But remember, he's outside of time. Now, we celebrate, as Christians, having eternal life. You know, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal, everlasting life. And even Jesus, when He was here on earth, He tried to explain to us that eternal life is not just a whole bunch of years. Because in John 17, verse 3, he says, this is eternal life that you may know me and the only true God. So knowing God, knowing Christ is really what eternal life is. It's not just 40 million years or 5.3 trillion years. That's a long time, but that's not what eternity is talking about. We have eternal life. And I don't know about you, but every day when I wake up, 
The hope is getting stronger. I want to exit this place. I want to get out of this world and go be where I belong. I am looking forward to what 1 Thessalonians 4 talks about. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be caught up and meet the Lord and be with Him forever. Be with Him forever. That's part of the eternal life package. To be with Him forever. Let me just run through some quick things that came to my mind as I was preparing this. God's kingdom is eternal. And remember, whenever we're using the word eternal here, it's not just forever that way. It's forever that way. God didn't suddenly come up with this brilliant idea about 2,000 years ago to start a kingdom. He didn't have this idea 8,000 years ago to start a kingdom. His kingdom, His throne, His rule, His reign is eternal. From everlasting to everlasting. He has very graciously now allowed us who are still trapped in time to be invited into that eternal kingdom. This part you're not going to like, but i got to tell you, His judgment is also eternal. No purgatory. No second chances. This is our chance now. This is it. After this, there's an eternal judgment. Um, so many other things, but I want to get into this now. What we want to look at this week and probably next week is God's eternal purpose. Say it with me. Eternal purpose. We often talk, and rightly so, that God has a plan for your life. He does. God has a plan for my life. And as you start to walk with the Lord, things just start to happen that you know you can't figure out, but stuff just starts falling into place. Doors start opening. You meet people and things happen. We call them divine appointments. Ephesians 2 talks about works that he's already planned for you to do. I'd like to know what those are, don't you? What does God have planned for you? He has plans for your life here on this earth. But his plans are bigger than that. You know, in, in Jeremiah 29, 11, we love to quote the verse, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to bless you, prosper you, give you a future and a hope. That's all true. God had a plan for Israel. God had a plan for Jeremiah. What, it, what does it say in the opening verses of Jeremiah? Before you were born, I had a plan for you. Jeremiah didn't go to prophet school. He was a prophet before he was conceived. That doesn't make any sense to the natural mind. But it does if you understand an eternal God. God had it all planned out. In Psalm 33, verses 10 and 11, I want us to look at this a little more carefully. Psalm 33, verses 10 and 11. It says, the Lord foils the plans of the nations. You know, all the nations, they have plans, including the U.S. I got news for the U.S. 
The Lord will foil the U.S.'s plans just like he will Russia's or anyone else's who stands in his way. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the people. Now, now, let me pause here for a minute. Anybody here, and my hands are already up, both of them, anybody here ever had an experience where you just knew that you were kind of fighting with God? It's like you, you keep running into this wall, and the wall doesn't move when you rebuke the devil. Because it isn't the devil. It's God. It's God saying, uh-uh. No. This isn't for you. You're not coming through here. This door is shut to you. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. Next verse. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of His heart through all... You know I'm going to do this. All generations, starting with Adam till the last human being, through all those generations, he's already got a purpose. He's already got a plan. They stand firm forever. Now, let me get into the real meat of what we want to start looking at in the New Testament now. Ephesians chapter 3. If you're at all familiar with the letter to the Ephesians, it's different from all of Paul's other letters. There's some very deep things in Ephesians. And there are a couple of words, we're going to read a few of them, but there are a couple of words that you keep hearing repeated over and over in his letter to the Ephesians. It's words like mystery and revelation. Now, before we even look at those, let me explain to you what a mystery is in the Bible. It's not like a murder mystery where they send the forensics team in there with the, you know, fingerprints and luminol and all that. Uh, you probably watch those in those crime shows. It's not that kind of a mystery. A mystery in the Bible is a truth. It's a reality, but it's hidden. God has hidden it. And the idea is, it's to be seen and understood only if God chooses to reveal it to someone. And the idea of revealing or revelation is literally an unveiling. So we've got curtains hiding something. The thing that's hidden is the mystery. The revelation comes when the curtains are drawn back. You can shout and holler and stand on your head and scream and do whatever you want. You're not going to see what's behind those curtains until the master of the curtains opens them and lets you see what's behind. So we're going we're gonna to look at the mystery of God's will and how it needs to be revealed to us. Remember, a mystery you're not going to figure out. You may be brilliant in your mind. My, my brother is far more in, intelligent and intellectual than I am, but he still can't see these things. Okay? So it's not a matter of IQ or how smart you are or even how much you can dig and research. Jesus told the Pharisees, you search the scriptures, but you will not come to me to find life. 
So this isn't something that you gain just by study and Greek and Hebrew. Those things all have their place. But now, go with me to Ephesians 3, and we're going to read a rather lengthy portion, starting with verse 2 down to 11. Ephesians 3, from verse 2. Paul is sharing a little bit of his own personal experience, his own personal calling. He says, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, here it is, the mystery made known to me by revelation. It's all in one phrase there. Mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Stop. Did you know that Jesus is a mystery? Now he's not that hard to understand. You read through the Gospels, it's pretty clear why he came. He died on the cross for our sins. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He promised eternal life. He spent three days in the tomb. He rose from the dead and he went back to the Father. That part isn't really very mysterious. But obviously, as we read along here, you're going to see this. There's something a whole lot more to Christ than that that I just said. It's the mystery of Christ. How are we going to understand the mystery of Christ? By revelation. Okay. That you may be able to understand my insight into that mystery. Okay. Which was not made known to men in other generations. So looking backwards into the past, this was hidden from all those generations up until the time of Paul. Not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. There it is again. The mystery is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make plain to everyone, here it comes again, the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Everybody with me? Amen. Okay. His intent was that now, now, we're not talking about past, future. We're talking about right now. What does God want to do now? His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God 
should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. He talks about those in chapter 1 and again in chapter 6. These are evil rulers. We're putting on the whole armor of God and battling against rulers and authorities and powers of darkness in heavenly places. Right now, he says, and I'm paraphrasing this, we're teaching them a lesson. Is that right? His intent was that now, through the church, raise your hand if you're the church. Okay, through you, God wants to do something. He wants to make known to them something. His intent was, go back, go back, go back. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, not your wisdom, God's wisdom should be made known to those guys in the heavenly realms. Now he caps all this off in verse 11. According to what? According to what? According to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, the things we're going to be speaking about today and next week, uh, they make me feel very much like the psalmist David in Psalm 139, when he says, when I, when I consider these things, they're too wonderful for me. It doesn't mean they're not real. It means they're too wonderful for me. So you can discount all this and say, I don't know what that eternal stuff is. I just want God to give me a job this week. But this is real stuff, folks. And yes, it's mysterious. Yes, it's deep. It's not mysterious in the way that, ooh, it's weird, man. We're going to a weird church over there in Glenmont. No, it's God's mystery. And he reveals it to certain people. He wants to reveal it to you and to me. He doesn't want these things to remain hidden. But let me tell you something. God's eternal purpose is not something easy for us to grasp in our finite minds. And that's why I don't want to rush through this because I think it's going to take us some time and it's also going to take us a lot of prayer. You see, back in Ephesians 1, before Paul started talking about all this, in verses 17 and 18, he prays for the Ephesian church. He prays, God, open the eyes of their understanding. Give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. And I think he understood very well, as I do also, you can't just teach these things. They have to be revealed. Now, we talk about them, we teach them, but it's really the Holy Spirit who has to teach them to us. God's eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. Remember, eternal means forever that way and forever that way. Now, in Proverbs, there's a well-known scripture. It says, where there is no vision, or some Bibles say revelation, the people perish. I can say amen to that. After 41 years of ministry, I've watched people who maybe had, you know, good intentions. They may have even been smart people, but they're nowhere to be found in the ranks of Christians anymore. They're gone. They're lost. Others that didn't really seem to have a whole lot going for them. Maybe they weren't real brilliant Harvard scholars. They weren't highly educated. 
But they had a vision. They had a revelation of Christ. And they're still going on to this day. Faithful to the Lord. You see, we need a vision. We need a revelation. I'm not talking about, oh, pastor, while you were preaching, there were angels floating around your head. Okay, wonderful. God bless the angels. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about a revelation of who God is and what his purpose is. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, final chapter of the Gospel, Jesus has risen from the dead. We had a wonderful message on this down in Florida. And he's walking along with these two disciples. They're going in the wrong direction. He had told all of his disciples to go to Galilee and wait for him because he was going to rise from the dead. They're going in the opposite direction toward Emmaus. And they're walking along and they're all down in the mouth, depressed. And Jesus comes along and says, hey guys, how you doing? I'm paraphrasing. What's up? Are you the only one that doesn't know what's been going on around here this weekend? We thought he was the Savior. We thought Jesus was the Messiah, but he's dead now. And they go on walking, having this conversation, and suddenly he opens their eyes. Notice, all that time they were walking with him, they were blind. Oh, they could see the road. They could see the signs. They knew where they were going, but they were blind to Jesus Christ. He opened their eyes, and more importantly, it says he opened the scriptures to them. And he took them through Genesis, Exodus. He took them through the law, through the prophets, and through the Psalms. And he showed them scriptures concerning himself. Oh, I would like to have a tape of that Bible study. But we do have the same Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit wants to open those scriptures to us from Genesis, from Exodus, from Leviticus, from Jeremiah, from Isaiah. And really, once you have eyes to see, Jesus is in every book of the Bible. He's not just in the New Testament. And so it says he opened the scriptures to them and something happened inside of them. People who went to Florida, what happened to them when he opened the scriptures? Their hearts burned. Their hearts burned. The theme of the conference down there was souls on fire. Let me tell you something. You want to get on fire for God? Let the Holy Spirit open your mind, open your eyes to what the scriptures are talking about. I can't do them anymore, but you'll start doing forward and backflips. It's exciting when you see Jesus and what God's eternal plan for Christ was. Without that vision, people perish. Without that revelation, I'm sorry, people won't make it. We need to cry out to God, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. Open my ears so I can hear. Give me a revelation of who Jesus Christ really is. All right, moving along. Romans chapter 16. Romans 16, verses 25 to 27. Now today the clock is my friend. But remember, it's wrong. <laughs> and you can't turn around and look at it anyway. But I'm very mindful of it, so don't worry. Romans 16. It's been a while since I've had a church member who was a little less subtle than that. They would actually stand at the back, and around this time they'd be going... 
to their watch. Pastor. <laughs> Romans 16. We got it? Okay. 25. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ. Here it comes again. According to the revelation of the mystery. Now we're, let's park here for a second. According to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past. This starts to open my mind a little bit more. I can't understand it, but it starts to open up my mind a little bit. These plans go way back in this direction. I'm pointing into the past. Way back, a mystery hidden for long ages past. Keep going. But now, now, now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of whom? Which God? The eternal God. He's talking about the eternal purpose of the eternal God. Goes way, way back beyond time. Of the eternal God so that all nations might believe and obey Him. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. So... Whether we can really comprehend all of this, we start to see something everywhere in the Bible that God is eternal, and apparently He had this thing mapped out, planned out, from before anything we could call a beginning. Okay? This didn't start after the beginning. God's purpose was formulated before the beginning. Sounds crazy. But I'm, I think I'm being as accurate as I can be with human words. Now, very important passage in 1 John 2, verses 12 to 14. 1 John 2, verses 12 to 14. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Now, I personally don't believe he's talking about physical age here. He's talking about three levels of spiritual maturity that were in the church to which he was writing. He's addressing three different age groups, spiritual age groups. Children, young men, and fathers. He has a different message for each group. The children, they understood two things. God was their father, and their sins were forgiven. 
You know, when you first become born again, that's about all you know. That's all you need to know. Hallelujah. God is my Father. My sins are forgiven. I've been born again. And we go on for some time in that excitement of just knowing we're now a child of God. But by and by, children become young men. Right? Now, I don't want to put you on the spot, DJ, but stand up. This is what a young man looks like. <laughs> a little taller than that, now, right? Hallelujah. You can sit down, DJ. That's a young man. What did it say about young men? They're strong. The Word of God lives in them and they have overcome the evil one. These are, these are believers that are starting to mature. They're starting to learn spiritual warfare. They're starting to get strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. They're, they're starting to live and walk in the anointing and in the power of God and they're starting to understand they have a purpose, they have a ministry, and God is starting to use them. What does it say about the third group? The fathers. Only says one thing twice. The fathers have known Him who is from the beginning. I'll tell you what that speaks to me. God needs some mature, seasoned men and women in the church who know Him and know His eternal purpose. And yes, we rejoice when a new soul gets saved and they're happy because their sins are forgiven. We rejoice when we see the young men, I'm not speaking literally, but spiritually speaking, the young men and women getting filled with the power of God, beginning to enter into real warfare, winning souls, doing battle, ministering and all of that. That excites all of us. But there has to be another group with a vision of the whole plan. They know Him who is from the beginning. Him who is from the beginning. I want to challenge you this week. In your own prayer time, and even in your own Bible study, ask the Lord to open your eyes and maybe give you a little deeper understanding. What is your eternal purpose? In other words, what is this whole thing about? Not just the earth, not just these few millennia that we're going to be here on this planet, I'm not saying we're going to live for millennia, but humankind. There's something bigger than all that. What is it? And again, I'm not belittling these other things. You're needing a job. You're needing healing in your body. You're praying for your son or daughter to get saved or to be reconciled to the Lord. Those are all extremely important things. But there's a bigger picture and if you've worked at all with cameras or even on computer screens now, you do it a lot. You can zoom in and you can zoom out. And when you start to zoom out, things get real tiny and you get a whole different perspective. I know sometimes on my phone I'll just look at the weather and you know, you can see what's happening over Montgomery County or right over your city. But sometimes I like to zoom out and see what's going on with the whole U.S. 
And if I keep zooming out, I can even see what's going on down in South America. <laughs> Your perspective changes. We need, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to learn how to zoom out and ask the Lord, show me the big plan. And I'll tell you what it'll do for you. When you have your little scrapes and bruises and, well, maybe I'm the only one here that gets those, but if you ever have a little tough day or a trial or something, it makes it a lot easier because in comparison to the big picture, this is really a small thing I'm going through. Paul calls them light and momentary trials compared to, listen to this, to an eternal weight of glory that he expected on the other side. So taking 70, 80, 90 years of life here on earth, that can be a whole lot of sorrows and a whole lot of disappointments. But Paul added all that up and he called it light and momentary because he was comparing it with eternity. If you and I don't learn to do that, man, our problems seem like huge mountains. Every new problem is a Goliath. Oh no, we're all going to die. But if you see the big picture, you know, this will pass. This will pass. I just want to scratch the surface to prepare you for next week. And if you can't join us, uh, you can get our website and hopefully the recordings and notes will be available if you want to get the rest of this message. But the, the next thing I want to do is go all the way back to the opening chapters of Genesis. And I believe I will be able to show you that by the time you come to the end of Genesis chapter 2, God has already revealed to us his eternal plan. First two chapters, he shows us his whole eternal purpose. And you're like, this guy's a false prophet. I'm not coming back here. <laughs> but I challenge you, go home this week, read the first two chapters of the Bible and the last two. Read Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22, and you're going to be amazed at how similar they are. Wait a minute. The beginning... In the end, they all kind of sound the same. In the first two chapters, you have, of course, a tree of life, a river of life, in a paradise. There's no sin, there's no pain, there's no suffering, and there's no death. Perfect paradise for two chapters. Then for 1,185 chapters, you have sin, death, curse, and destruction. And God working out his plan of redemption. And then finally we come to Revelation 21 and 22. We find a tree of life, a river of life, a paradise where there's no more sickness, no more sin, and no more dying. But there's something else very important that's found in the first two chapters that reappears in the last two. In the first two, you have the first marriage between Adam and Eve. First marriage. In the last two chapters, you have a marriage between the last Adam 
that's his name, Jesus Christ, is referred to as the last Adam. And I believe we'll be able to show that he has an Eve. The last Adam is getting married. And you can read about the wedding in the last chapters of Revelation. He's marrying his church. He's marrying his bride. And I believe we'll demonstrate next week that Eve in Genesis chapter 2 is a picture of God's eternal purpose for you and for me. Let's stand. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. Lord Jesus, as you did with Cleopas and the other disciple on the road to Emmaus, open the scriptures to us. Oh God, open up our hearts. Open up our minds. Open up our spiritual ears and eyes to see and to hear what the Spirit wants to reveal to us. Lord, Your Word says that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, it has never entered into the heart or the imagination of man the things that You have prepared for those who love You. But You have revealed them by Your Spirit. Holy Spirit, we are asking now that You would come and anoint us Come and fill us. Come and open up our eyes and our minds and our understanding to understand the purpose that God has for us, for this world, for this human race. Lord, You are an eternal God, and Your purpose is an eternal purpose. Father, I pray for each and every one here that they would enter into, they would surrender to that great calling to be included in your eternal plan. What a blessed people we are. And now, Father, as we go forth from this place, send us forth in joy. Send us forth in peace. Send us forth quickened with our hearts burning as you, O oh God, continue to open the Scriptures to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. amen and amen. God bless you all. See you next week.